As he crested the hill with his group of followers, making his way down the side of the hill and through the valley and up the other side and through the gates into the city of Jerusalem, the people were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! First it was a few. As others gathered, the voices in unison were shouting, Hosanna! It became louder and louder to the point where finally, even inside the city walls, they could hear the great shout that was going on. They had been waiting for a leader to come. Somebody who was from the outside and not part of the establishment. They were tired of the ways of the establishment, for they knew that the establishment leaders were corrupt. They knew that they were focusing on the things that they thought they wanted to have happen. And so they were yelling, Hosanna. Cutting down branches off the trees, they were casting them in the way. They were taking off their outer garments and putting them down in front of the donkey as it carried Jesus along the pathway through the Kidron Valley and up through the eastern gate and into the city of Jerusalem and next to and onto the Temple Mount, their town market, their city square. It is an amazing thing that these chants were such that long before they ever arrived through the gate and onto the uh, Temple Mount, the establishment leaders could hear the chants and the yells. And they wondered what was going on, and then quickly they were able to see what was going on. They were filled with fear. They were filled with fear because would this one Jesus, this upstart leader from outside, come in and throw everything over and change everything? Then they were filled with anger. And they said, there's no way. We will do whatever we can to overthrow him, to keep him from being able to make a difference. Thus was the scene that we see on that Palm Sunday just before the Passover was to take place. And year by year we celebrated as we think about what Jesus was doing at the beginning of this Passion Week. What we oftentimes will say is, would that we would all be able to say, Hosanna. I remind you that four or five days later, the establishment had so changed the minds of those who were crying Hosanna, that now en masse they were crying with even a greater and louder voice, crucify him, crucify him. And literally within hours, Jesus was hanging on the cross. We say, we would not be with the establishment. We say, we would want the outsider. We would say, our vote goes for him. And we would cry with Hosanna, but would our words in a matter of days be changed? Would we go from at least verbally saying, so be it, let's have a great king, 
to know we want nothing to do with him, get rid of him. I want to say this morning that if we do not have the things that I'm going to talk about from a passage that we've never ever connected with Palm Sunday, if we do not have the things that it talks about, we would be amongst those who would say, Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. When God created human beings, he created each one with a God-sized hole that's larger than the whole galaxy, and only he can fill that hole. We often try to fill that hole with other things, money, work, family, pleasures, drugs, alcohol, sex, and so on. But that hole can only be filled by God through Jesus Christ when he becomes your Savior. Absolutely nothing else will fill the void. Would you look at your neighbor just for a moment, and would you say to your neighbor, absolutely nothing will fill the void but Jesus? Go ahead and do it. Every time I do this, it's always funny when we're done. Everybody laughs. And the reason we laugh is because we feel so funny telling our neighbors the truth. We can tell them last night's basketball scores down at the uh, Carver Center. We can, we can uh, talk about March Madness. We can talk about so many other things. But then to turn and say truth to someone, that just seems so odd, so peculiar. Even for Christians inside the church, it's easier to say Hosanna than it is to tell the truth. But let me say to you that when this God-sized hole that is within us is filled with Jesus Christ, our lives change. We become true worshipers of God. And it shows up in every aspect of our lives. In fact, people around us begin to see that true Christianity is really quite different than what they thought it was. So what I want us to realize is that our worship is important. It's very important. Let me underscore that by saying it's absolutely vital. And I want us to take over the next weeks that I am speaking to you, with the exception of the times that Pastor Rich has asked me to speak on some specific subjects. I want to talk about worship. I'm not going to talk about, you know, how you play the guitar, how you play the drums, how you sing with your voice. We'll talk a little bit about that, I suppose. But what I want to talk about is what the nature of real worship is. And it's interesting to notice at the tail end of the book of the Psalms, you'll want to turn to Psalm 146 if you haven't already, but in the, in the tail end of the book of Psalms, we discover that there are uh, five Psalms written by David, King David, that really talk about one aspect of what worship looks like. Here in Psalm 146 today, it's total praise. In Psalm 147, we're going to talk about songs of praise. Now, we're not going to talk about whether they came out of the hymn book or whether they were written by Hillsong or some of the other things. We're we're going to talk about what, what the expression of songs of praise looked like, regardless 
of the particular style we use. Psalm 148, creation's praise. Psalm 149, growing praise. And then in Psalm 150, instruments of praise. Just a little side note, we'll get to it when we get there. Uh, You're going to discover if you search the Bible that you will not find pianos and organs in the Bible associated with our worship. By the way, you won't find many other instruments too. The point is God's not saying you can't have them. I have no problem with pianos and organs and guitars and drums and all of those things. I think they're all very important. But the reality is that worship isn't about simply our music. Worship is about using whatever instrument we have. And every one of us has an instrument we can use for God. We say, no, no, I don't. Sure you do. And when we get to that one, we'll talk about it. Would you follow along in Psalm 146? I'm going to read the entire psalm because I will run out of time before I run out of sermon this morning. Uh, That's okay because where we finish will be where we're supposed to end. I remember I was preaching one time, and I better get on this because I'm using my time to tell it. I remember one time I had one of these big sermons. I mean, it it, it was an important subject, and you had to go all the way from beginning to end. And uh, so I said to the people, I make you a promise, folks. I will, I will end just as soon as I'm finished. <laughs> well, this one will be one that I will end before I'm finished. Look as I read. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on the very day, on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God a lot to cover, your message to our hearts. May we listen. May I speak accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't go to one of those churches that's always praising the Lord. We're more dignified than that. Why they speak wildly and raise their hands. Sometimes they even dance. And would you believe it, they even say, praise the Lord. I go to a church that's dignified. Well, King David had a problem one time. 
You see, the ark had been taken by the Philistines and it had been held for quite a period of time. And now King David is leading and bringing back the ark from captivity to place it back in the place where it was supposed to be, in the city of Jerusalem. And as they were bringing it back, he was dancing wildly and praising God as it was coming. His wife was not part of the great celebration. She was looking out the shuttered windows, and as she opened the shutters, she saw her husband dancing in a very undignified way and crying out with a very loud voice. And when he came in, she said, Tisk, Tisk, you're the king of Israel. And look at you. You're out there dancing and hollering in such an undignified way. David looks at her and he says, Woman, why don't you keep quiet? Because I'm going to tell you. If it takes more, I'll be even more undignified. I guess he might not attend the church that some of us go to that does not allow us to say, Praise the Lord. David, in writing to us, talks about the fact that this is a command. He's going to give us the same command at the beginning and the ending of all five of the Psalms that we are going to consider this morning. It starts out with praise the Lord. And it is a command to those of us who are the followers of God today. But it's more than a command. I want you to understand that what he is really saying to us is this. Pay attention to the fact, not only that you're supposed to, co- to praise God, but to look at the ways that you are to praise God. Can I encourage you to do something that may seem like a rather foolish thing to do? But there are some of us who are here who are going to say, before I even get into the psalm, Don, I'd praise God if I had anything to praise him for, but I don't have anything to praise him for. Well, get you out a piece of paper and a pencil. Sit you down and start to think about the things that are happening around you. List some of them. Write them down. And look at them and say, how could I possibly praise God for this? And then you know what I'm going to ask you to do? The audacity of the preacher. I'm going to ask you to actually start praising God out loud for the things that are on there. How many of you ate breakfast this morning? Put your hand up. Come on, come on. Get them up. I know we're Baptist and we don't like to respond in any audible or open fashion, but that's what I want. So most of us who are in here, do you know what you can do? You write that down in the piece of paper and praise God that you had food to eat. Do you know that in the two-thirds world, there were many people that got up this morning that had nothing to eat? They're not going to have anything to eat but maybe a little pittance of food before this day is done. And I can tell you in many places in the two-thirds world, when you get there, you're going to discover that they praise God for that little pittance. And we gorge ourselves all day long on the wonderful things that we have. I don't have anything to praise God for. We've got so many things for which to praise God. Now, it seems to me that the psalmist isn't just responding out of duty here. Uh, he, He... He doesn't even want to hold it back. He just really wants to shout, praise the Lord. Okay, you can say it as softly as you want to. But on the count of three, I'd like you to say, praise the Lord. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
I don't have to worry. I'm in a place where we are willing to praise the Lord. David is writing to us so that he can cause us to realize that if our souls are in the right place, if they are nourished and fed the way that they ought to be, then we are going to not only have cause to praise the Lord, but we are going to have no cause for holding it back. We're going to open our mouths and let it fly. And it won't be ignorant, but rather, it will well from within. So what we see in verses 1 and 2 is the psalmist making a list of all the ways that he is praising God. These are ways that you and I can praise God. There are three of them that he uses here in verses 1 and 2. First, in verse number 1, he says, I praise God with my total being. That's why he could dance on that day. Many times Baptists think it's only with our heads. Some other churches that we go to think that it's only with our hearts. But David says, it's with my total being. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. (laughs) Those of you who remember Paul Saunders, when Paul Saunders was here, you'd say something startling to him and he would say, O my soul. Or if it was really startling, he'd say, Oh, my soul and body. Well, that isn't really what David's talking about here. What he's talking about is the fact that what he is using as the means with which to praise God is that which is the inner being, the place where only you and God can go. Friend, when that is the empty hole that God has not filled, you can say the words, but it is not going to be real. But when you nourish your soul in the way that God wants you to, the result will be that it will be filled to overflowing. Picture it, if you will, in this way. Some of you have a coffee mug, it's completely empty. And you look in and you say, it's empty. You say, I wish there were some coffee or some other liquid in this mug that I have here. Well, you go about doing some things and you put the coffee in so that you can drink it. Those of you who are here, some of you have a half-filled mug. You look in there and there's not enough to really spill over to others. You have determined that this is enough to satisfy your soul. But what you really need to do is you really need to get to the coffee pot of God's blessing and you need to pour until it's full and pour until it flows over. Let me mix the metaphor. Jesus said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living... Actually, he said, out of your belly. Out of your stomach will flow rivers of living water. What he's talking about is what David's talking about here. The fact that when we are nurturing our souls, when we are being filled by God, not only once a day, but throughout the day with things, then we are going to be filled enough so that you don't even have to give us much of a bump for it to spill over, but it naturally spills over. Last weekend... 
Ryan was coming in here. He's walking by me. And when I, I was talking to someone, so I couldn't, I couldn't say hi to him. So I did what any good hockey player would do. I elbowed him. Now, he wasn't sure whether I was being friendly or unfriendly. Now, in hockey, when I did that, I wasn't necessarily being friendly. But today, I was being friendly. So when I came by him today, I poked him with my cane because he's sitting in there where I couldn't reach him. I said, I'm slashing you this week. If you don't know hockey, you don't know what that means. That's not a good thing, although I meant it as a good thing. What really was happening there was I was hoping to let him know that my cup is filled to overflowing. It was my way of saying to him when I couldn't because I was in a conversation with somebody else, praise the Lord. Are we the kind of people that people when they meet us see that we are filled enough with the power of God in our lives that they can see praise for God even if we aren't speaking? You say, yeah, that's what made me become a Baptist. No, it isn't. But what we need to realize is, he says, we need to praise God with our total being. Secondly, in verse number two, he tells us in making this list of how we are to praise God, it is to be with the total length of our lives. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Boy, that's a long time. For some of us, that's going to be 18 or 19 years, 35 years, in our 60s, in our 80s. Some of us may make it even to 100 and be praising God. They talked to the oldest lady in America a while ago, 116 years old. I can't imagine living that long. They asked her what the secret was of her long life, and one of the things she talked about as the secret was a relationship with God. I I think that, in honesty, if that's true of her, she was uh, praising the Lord in the total length of her life. We ought to be able to do that. From the youngest one who's in here to the ones who are just about to graduate from high school or college, to those who are in our middle years, to those who are older, To those of us who can't hear a thing. Hey, if that's you, like me, I can't hear hardly anything out of my left ear when my right ear catches up to my left ear. You know what I'm going to start doing when people start talking to me? I'll just assume that they're talking to me about the things of the Lord and I'll say, praise the Lord! As long as I live, praise ought to be part of my life. Thirdly, in this section, in verse 2, we discover that when we are praising God in the way that he's asking us to praise God, the psalmist says we praise him with music, even at the end of our lives. Verse 2, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. I'm aware that some of us have voices like screech owls. I know, I've heard some of you. That was intended to be funny. (laughs) And you've heard me. But the reality is, 
A soul that is filled is a soul that sings. Around the world today, Christians are known as those who are singing people. In fact, it is the language that most often is the first that we use to express ourselves in terms of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember one day being with a group of 35 Christians in a brand new church. They had a steel roof, a bunch of, a bunch of stakes, and uh, nothing else in Kenya, Africa. Over near the Indian Ocean, up near the Somalian border, in a community that was otherwise than that group of 35 believers, totally Islamic, Muslims. And I remember when we got there, the the pastor got up and began to speak, and I was sitting near the back of that august group of individuals, and I couldn't understand a word that he was saying. Then they took their songbooks, they opened them up, and I could see notes, I could see words in Swahili. I don't know Swahili. But as soon as the tune began, I knew the song from the tune. And as I followed along with the words, since I have learned how to quickly put things into phonetics, I was able to sing most of the songs that they sang along with them. It was a way of expressing our praise to God. And even though I did not have full comprehension of the words, I was able to praise God. Ought that not to be true of us? What are the songs you love most? What are the ones that are best for helping you to be able to show the reality of what is in your souls? Do you ever find yourself singing songs as you're doing housework or puttering around in the, in the garage or doing some mechanical job? Do you ever find yourself thinking and going over those tunes? You say, well, I'm not on the worship team, so that doesn't happen to me often. But as a believer, I am to use this outward praise to express the inner soul for as long as I live in whatever method of music that I am able to use monotone or along a tonal scale of the various notes that are on the musical staff to express to God our love. Now we'll get into this a little bit more in Psalm 147. Will you look with me into the text at a third thing? Not only do we see that it's more than a command and that the psalmist gives us this list of how he praises God and how we're to praise God, But in verses 3 and 4, he tells us where we won't find lasting help. Lasting help, he tells us in verse 3, won't come from powerful people. See what it says? Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. That's an interesting text. When you first look at it, you see the word salvation, which concludes the verse, and you say, okay, I understand that, Don, you're not going to be able to bring salvation into my life. And deacons, you're not going to be able to bring salvation into our lives. That's true. Only God through Jesus Christ can do that. But he's talking about more. You see, what was happening 
even at that time in the nation of Israel, is they were looking for a strong man to come who would be able to politically deal with the problems that they were facing and in doing so would be able to make their life much better. And he as the strongest king that Israel had ever had, has ever had, the strongest leader that they have ever had and will have until Jesus Christ comes and rules not only the nation but the world. And what he says to us, don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in political leaders. Don't put your trust in powerful people for your salvation. He says that comes from God. And what better word can I bring to you on this day than to say we need to become people who pray so that our souls become full so that we can praise God in the way that we ought so that we become the salt and light we ought to be so that it will make a difference in the America where we live because nothing else is going to do it. And you should be saying amen. Then Psalm 146 and verse 4 gives us a second thing, another way that we ought not to have confidence. He says, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. (laughs) In the first service, as I was standing here, there are thoughts that go through my head, by the way, while I'm preaching. I don't multitask well, but when I'm preaching, I can generally get an additional thought here and there that I think are significant for me to consider thinking about later on. And so here it is for what it's worth. I am waiting for an invitation to preach at one of these great big, you know, leadership conferences that they have. I know my text. Here it is, Psalm 146 and verse 4. When it's my turn to preach, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to read. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. You say, why are you going to preach on that at a leadership conference? Because you see, we make long-term plans, and I'm not saying we shouldn't plan, but we make long-term plans as if there never is going to be an end, and as if, if there is an end, they're going to continue on, and they're going to shape everything that's going to go on. The truth is, David says, when you die, buddy, you know what's going to happen? Your plan ceases with you. I sometimes think, you know, what I need to do right now is I need to sit and write a whole bunch of books because I got a lot of stuff inside my head that people would really benefit from if I could get it out where they could hear it. Now, in this day and age, it would be better for me to post it all on the Internet. Actually, in fact, it would be better for me to put it on, on YouTube in, in terms of speaking, and hopefully people would hear it that way. But regardless, it's all there, and I want to do it. But the truth is, when I'm gone, people are going to forget about me. They're going to do it very quickly. I hadn't been back to my home area. I grew up on a college campus. They were having a get-together where they had a lot of people get together uh, that had been there for years and years and were coming back for visits. And I came back for a visit. It had been about 15 years. 
In a crowd of seven, eight hundred people, there were three people who knew me besides my brothers. That's it. I'm already forgotten. That's okay. Thankfully, God hasn't forgotten me. But what he wants us to understand is life is to be lived here and now. You want, them to, you want people to remember you? Do you really want people to remember you? Let me tell you how. Imagine if this were to happen in Pekin tomorrow morning. Okay, so we all get up and we go our various and sundry ways to the various things that we do. Some of us to places of work, some of us to offices, some of us to school, some of us to whatever retired people do in this town. And can you imagine if the first person that we encountered in the day, when they addressed us and said, well, Bill, how are you doing today? You said, I'm doing fine, praise the Lord. Or the teacher in the hallway said to you, students, oh, did you have a good weekend? Yes, I did, praise the Lord. The boss calls you in and he says, Bob, we don't use that kind of language here at work. Now, you can use four-letter words, not like grace or help, but you know what I mean. And we can get away with that. Uh, We can use names of God, and we can get away with that, as long as they are used in some way that expresses anger or whatever. But we can't say, praise the Lord. Bob, I'm going to tell you, If you say praise the Lord again, people are complaining. If you say praise the Lord again, you're going to be out of a job. Bob looks back at his boss and says, I understand. I appreciate what you're saying. Thank you for this conversation. Praise the Lord. (laughs) He says, come back here, Bob. And he reaches, into the, uh, he reaches into the desk and he pulls out the little pink slip and he writes on it and hands it to Bob. And Bob looks at it and says, oh, look at this. You did exactly what you said you were going to do. You've released me from my job. Well, thank you for the years that I've spent here. Praise the Lord. Or they call the student to the principal's office and said, you need to realize that there's a thing called separation of church and state. Okay, Mr. Principal, I'll keep God out of the school if you'll keep all of this nonsensical political stuff called everybody gets offended out of life. No, you shouldn't probably do that, although you'd feel like doing that. And he or she says to you, That's it. It's done. You're not doing this anymore. Do you understand me, Susan? You are not to do that again. Yes, Ms. Smith. Yes, Mr. Jones. I I understand what you're saying. Good. So we won't be having any more of that. Well, I'll try to do my best. Praise the Lord. What I'm meaning to say to you in all of this is I know that you're not going to go out and do that, but can you imagine if every single Christian in the city 
of Pekin tomorrow started saying, praise the Lord, to the people that they came into contact with. They would be writing it up in the newspaper. It would be on the television news. It wouldn't be long until it would be making a mark on the community. King David is saying, we need to realize that we need to be praising God because that's what God expects of us. Now, my time is gone. There are so many more things in this psalm that I would like to really say. What I'm going to uh, really request of you that you do is you take some time today before you head off to uh, whatever other things that you're going to do or head off to sleep to read through the psalm and ask yourself, what is it I am supposed to be doing? Because what you'll see at the beginning and at the end, again, is this. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And in between, he tells us not only where it comes from, but how it plays itself out in our lives. This church is made up of Christians. In fact, this building isn't the church. You as believers are the church. And these principles play out in our lives in such a way that they impact the world that is around us. As Jesus made his way down over that hill of Gethsemane, sorry, of Mount of Olives, and through the Kidron Valley and up to the Eastern Gate and through the Eastern Gate, to the Temple Mount, which is immediately to the left-hand side of the eastern gate as you go in. As he came onto the Temple Mount where the temple was, his purpose was to be able to turn the attention of the people away from religiosity to the only one who can fill that hole in their lives. And that's Jesus. On Friday, we will celebrate the darkness of this whole thing that takes place in Passion Week where he's placed there. Pastor Rich is going to lead us in understanding again what we have known from the time we've been little of what happened. But as the old-time preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming And if Jesus tarries next Sunday, Pastor Rich is going to lead us in looking at the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has arisen, that our souls can be filled consistently, and we can praise the Lord. Because Jesus has not yet returned, friend. We still have opportunity to make a difference in our world in our America, in our Illinois, in our Pekin. But we're going to have to praise the Lord. If you can't do that because you don't know Jesus, then you need to come to know him. I'd be happy to see that someone, me or someone else, leads you to Jesus Christ if the Spirit of God is dealing with you.
if you've been struggling. You know Jesus, but you've really been struggling. I would be happy to sit with you or to have someone sit with you and help you to deal with this so that your soul is where it ought to be so that there can be total praise from your lips. Would you join me in prayer, please? And now, God, our Father, this morning, we have heard this sermon, and maybe we have thought, good, that one wasn't so hard. Or maybe we have thought, oh, oh, the Spirit of God is speaking to me. I need to get out of here. I'm sure that the roast is burning. I need to get out of here soon. But God, would you help each of us to search our hearts, to ask ourselves, am I a person of praise? Or am I empty? And if I'm running on empty, what do I need to do to get this turned around? Lord, one lady said to me, you know, I think God is trying to God is trying to get us to take steps forward to commit ourselves to doing things for him. Lord, my way of looking at it is we've been a ship in dry dock being retrofitted. But our hull has been placed in the water again. Yes, we're at the dock. It's probably not quite time for us to depart yet, but that's coming soon. And when we depart, the journey that we are going on is going to be an incredible journey. Lord, I thank you that over this last nine months or so, I have been part of this process of helping this church in Dry Dock and now at the dock to get ready for these grand things that are going to take place. Would you help each of us to act upon the things that we are learning so that when the captain doesn't just visit the ship to see whether it's ready, but actually takes the helm and begins to steer it out into the deep waters of life, that we will say to him, Captain Rich, we're ready. We're ready to do what, is, what God has called us to do. Lead us in the direction that we are to go. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I trust that you're going to have a great Passion Week, and I trust most of all that on Sunday, when you uh, come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be able to say with great joy with your lips, from your heart, He is risen, because He is risen indeed. And we can praise the Lord. That's right. So let's go and stand firm. Who are you going to say praise the Lord to this week? Oh, you committed? Let's go do it. Stand firm.